Hey there, Paisani. Welcome back to another episode of the Italian American Podcast and Buona Natale because this is our final broadcast before the Christmas holiday arrives. And I am sure everybody that's, out that's there. That's inaccurate. That's no, inaccurate. Not. Yes, it is inaccurate. Why? Because we cannot go with the mindset that Christmas ends on December 25th. Oh, my goodness. I have scheduled Christmas episodes all the way to January 6th. And if I was in the mood, I keep going to February 2nd. But, but the holiday will have passed by the time we come back. Not, ta- I mean, the, the octave of Christmas goes to January 1st. And if you want to take Christmas as a liturgical season, at least to January 6th, possibly with an additional octave to the 13th, which is the vigil of my birthday. <laughs> of course. I have a, a vigil of its own. And then in, in medieval times, like in the Tudor times, it would have gone on to February 2nd. Why February 2nd? The presentation. That's Candlemas. Gondolod. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, for all of us measuring our time in octaves, as Pat points out, then this is not the last broadcast before Christmas. We should all measure our time in octaves. <laughs> we sure should. <laughs> no, that make me an, an Octavian? Would that be <laughs> I'm an Octavian. That sounds like a very British thing, Octavian. It does sound like you're part of a private club. I was, <laughs> my, my London club, the Octavians. <laughs> we should start that. That we should, should be the tell new people, I, belong, I have to go to London to the club, Octavian. <laughs> They have recipro- reciprocity that we'd find like the, an American club. Yeah, I know that we need that. With, with, like with, that. with the Metropolitan, I have reciprocity <laughs> with the Octavians. Yeah, with the Octavians. But it will be it will be Christmas after this. Why do people listen to this? I, I feel know. sorry. If I feel I want to apologize. Get, get yourself a head there's, examination for the Christmas. There's so many good things you could do in your life. But you know it, why they, they come? Because of topics like we're going to talk about today, because of things like truthfully and the, the traditions that we keep that people. You just can't seem to get away from. I feel like. Are you taking off your Sicilian hat today? Are you going to be like a Neapolitan again? Are you telling me the Sicilians can't eat truthfully? Is that what you're saying? No, they have a different. They call it pignolata. I, well, <laughs> and, okay, they make, so, and they oh, make it for St. Joseph's. They can't make it for Christmas and they'd be just like us. <laughs> Who would want to be like just like the Neapolitans? No. no, I have a Neapolitan side. My grandmother made truthfully. This is a big deal. Sure, but it comes it comes on and off. You're Sicilian every day. You're Neapolitan when it's convenient. You know, and, and I used to be much more Neapolitan. I, I know. Much more, I, yeah, yeah. People don't understand what happened. If I had been so avowedly Sicilian when we met, would we be friends? Did, did I need to be so Neapolitan back then? Is that what happened? I'm going to save you from yourself because you've gone off the Sicilian deep end. <laughs> and they think this is stick, but I've seen. No, it. no, it's true. They've, I don't know. We were in Argenio's store and then your life just made a 180 degree turn. Mrs. Argenio just pointed out that as much as I love Naples, I was just I was just I said, Here we go. masquerading as a Neapolitan. You are Sicilian masquerading because you're going to be saying it's pignolata and some other words. <laughs> no, I won't everywhere. turn on my my Neapolitan side. I mean, but today for one day now, as they say, for one day a year. Yeah, for one day a year uh, my, on Christmas Eve. I don't know. I guess the traditions that I have in my family, those are from my dad's side from Campania. We ne- Neapolitans are more. I think Christmas Eve is a is. I don't want to say it's a Neapolitan holiday, then everybody's going to go to, but it's because the, the fact you had fast and abstinence on December 24th and the coast, the Amalfi coast, the Sorrento coast, all the way up to Gaeta, the port of Naples, we had a lot of access to fish. We just ran with it. Yeah. Because I say this to people all the time. I wish Ro was on this episode. You know, Mola di Body does not have a, I hate the seven, the seven fishes is a false term anyway. I know you hate that. We'll call it the, the fish meal. They make what they call banzarots, right? Yeah. Banzarotti, which is the Bares word. I, I would call a potato cook at banzarot, but Italy, different names, same thing. Um, they make like a little gazona, which is stuffed, which is very typical of, you know, Puglia, Bari, Mofetta, that area. 
But they, that was their Christmas Eve. You know, speaking of your total distaste for the Feast of the Seven Fishes, for the for the no, the, for the, the t- nomenclature, the, the, yeah, the nomenclature, for the, yeah, right, the, the, the designation Seven Fishes. You have talked for I don't know how many years we've been doing this podcast and how many years before I've known you. You've talked about searching for the Genesis article of this term, and I think I found it and I sent it to you, and you didn't even. Did you really? You never responded. I don't think because you, you send me emails. You got to remind. I'm, you know, I'm a little starting ahead sometimes. Yes. Why would you like flag that for me? Uh, well, here's what I of all up. the stuff we send each other. Probably <laughs> the on. most important article. It's <laughs> like, like a footnote. So here's what I did. I and I know. Keep in mind, not every newspaper in the world is on newspapers.com, but it's a pretty good archive, and I have a, a professional level uh, membership to it. I've searched everything they have. I literally. Read every article that where some guy caught seven fish. I mean, just just seven fish, my term. So I went as far back as I could to find the first article that mentions it as an Italian feast here in America. And believe it or not, can I make a guess? And I've never seen it. Yeah, you have. I Go want. To, I want. I want to. It's. I want to gamble on this. Okay. Somewhere between eighty-five and eighty-eight. Earlier. Earlier. Slightly. What year? Nineteen seventy-eight. Wow. Twentieth December. Guess what? Paper. Well, you can't guess what paper. You won't guess what paper. But what paper? It is Connecticut. No, 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 my friend. It is the Courier Post of Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Wednesday, December 20th, 1978. Wow. Holiday cooking Italian style. And you know what I bet? See, I have another theory. So for those of you who don't know, I remember, I never ever heard, right? So I'm born 1975. Let's do the math on this. I never heard of the seven, a seven fish, a numerically qualified Italian Christmas Eve. And then I remember... It had to be in the mid 80s. It had to be on the Today Show or Good Day in New York or something. Someone's talking about the quote unquote Feast of the Seven Fishes. And my grandmother, being superstitious, because Neapolitans are superstitious, says, Look, where's this number? Where is this coming from? The seven. I remember us having a discussion. Were we doing something wrong? Where did the seven? We were, fa- I, was, I remember it was like a fat, like, who seven? Like, I know no one had ever heard of that. I think this is, this may be the beginning. And someone said something like, Well, it's considered unlucky if you don't have seven fishes. Yeah, I've heard it's considered unlucky if you don't have an odd number of fishes. And we had never heard of this, but my grand, my you know, my granddaughter and mother are superstitious people. That's a God's honest truth. I, I because re- I am who I am today because I was into this stuff since I was like a toddler. <laughs> I, I remember, <laughs> yeah, I remember cleaning shrimp with my grandmother four years old. Oh, sure, with a plastic bib on. So that had been nineteen seventy nine. But my theory is that somebody, some, and I'll say this kindly, Medigan, because some people find that an offensive term, person who was working for a newspaper wanted to do a holiday story and said, oh, I remember the Italians who live next door to me used to eat a lot of fish on Christmas Eve and found somebody. And there's, I, I bet you there is some little village, some frazione somewhere in the south of Italy that has a numerical tradition because every town does its own thing. That's Italy. Every, frazione, every little village has its own traditions. And Abruzzo loves numbers with meals. Like Mount Malin, there's another town in Abruzzo. They do... 12 dishes on the Feast of St. Joseph, meatless dishes. The Abruzzes have something with numbers and dishes, sevens mm. and twelves. Mm. And the reason I bring that up is Philly is Abruzzes. Mm. What the Sicilians are to New Orleans is what the Abruzzes are to Philly. And that includes Molise, because when most of these people came here, Molise was still part of Abruzzo to what, 1964? Yeah, something like that. So that's the, that's the dominant culture. So that Cherry Hill makes sense when you say that, because Cherry Hill is right outside Philly. And if there is a village in Italy that has like, and I bet you it wasn't seven fish dishes. I bet you it was seven dishes. Because if you're in Abruzzo, unless you're on the seacoast, 
How are you going to get seven different fishes? Yeah, I can't imagine seven. I mean, especially in, in Bucina Povera. This, to your point, this article was written by a woman named Carolyn Little. I don't, doesn't She doesn't intimate that she's Italian. She's sort of covering, you know, the ethnic uh, footprint. And when I say Medigan, it's not an insult to her. She no, 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 yeah, she's she, not cause Italian. Because if someone's going to email Pat, say Medigan. Um, she had no point of reference, right? She remembered yeah. the Italian kids. She grew up next in Cherry Hill. They had the Italian grandmother used to make fish on Christmas Eve. She went over because maybe she didn't have a food tradition on Christmas Eve. She interviewed someone in Philly and they say it's seven fishes. And I, I, that's my, it had to be. Well, this is what this sounds like. She interviews this lady, Ida Falcone, Ida Falcone, and all about her Christmas Eve tradition. And Ida is specific that she makes seven different fish. Maybe this is the nugget of where it came from. I don't know. In over how many podcast episodes have we done? 250, whatever almost, they've yeah, been. And I, I wasn't on in the beginning. But I the nothing you know that it, uh, enrages me, like the sauce gravy conversation. There's not nothing, right? Because to me, it's such a waste. It's a waste of you know the world is falling apart and people are worried about. It, do you say so? But I mean, it's <laughs> entertainment for some people. Right. But the uh, the uh, I call it the gravy ethnic cleansing, is <laughs> when who uh, whatever cookbook author came up with the word Sunday sauce, yeah. right? Now that's become the new word. And it's it's beating down on gravy, which is a historical term in nurture, which, you know, I get very I get very defensive about because it's part of the, the cultural mosaic of New Jersey yep. and New York. The New York's not my yeah. headache. That's not my problem. That's your people. But for my people in North Jersey, that's who we are. That's our word. And I feel that some some author who try to explain and this is not a criticism. It's a pedagogical device. They try to explain to someone who didn't understand it was there's this this concoction, this tomato sauce with meat in it and macaroni that Italian Americans from the South have on Sundays and we call it and they use the word Sunday sauce so they've educated people but the expense of the word grief yeah but Anne is like hanging on and she's like why why are these people yeah we have an Italian American from New York here with us who is a professional in this field so without further ado let's bring her on Annie Petito is from Cook's Illustrated magazine and she came to our attention through America's Test Kitchen which Pat was in awe of because she went on and actually tested Struffily in America's Test Kitchen, a very popular show uh, for those of you who are fans. She represented us. Yeah. And that's why she deserves to be here. She's part of the Struffily squad. Correct. But she's part of our tribe and she did the right thing. Annie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah. That was quite the introduction. Thank you so much. I was happy to represent. Yeah, you did a good job. Thank you so much. That was a very nice introduction. Well, we're happy to have you on here and thanks for coming on. And, uh, how about you? Your family have a set number of fish for Christmas Eve? Uh, so my my father's side is Italian, uh, Neapolitan and Sicilian. He it's not something that he in, enjoyed. So in my immediate family, we didn't grow up doing the fishes, but my cousins have been doing it for years. And so it was always seven in their house. OK, yeah. yeah. Ten bucks when you go back, well, you go to Long Island, right? That was in the article. Yes. Yeah. You, yeah. Yes. Are you going this Christmas? We won't be going this Christmas. Uh, you know, I, I, I miss it. I'm hopefully I have a, a toddler these days. Um, lots of little kids running around. So it makes it a little more challenging to get together, but I'm hopeful that my daughter will get to experience the seven fishes and the full, the full out family get together as she gets a little bit older. When you call your aunt and I bet you that that seven number was a later development. It's a good question. I will ask her, actually. I've always been intrigued by the fishes, especially um, since growing up. It wasn't something that we did, but I've done, you know, listening to you talk about it, the, about the numbers, the seven, the 12. Is it representative of the sacraments, of 
It's uh, BS, Ann. I know. BS. <laughs> it got shoved down our throats. It That's not fair. Havoc. You don't know it's BS. Yes, it is BS. I was <laughs> there in the 80s. I remember us having I was there in the 80s. Saying, no, <laughs> I was there. I swear to God, look at that. I'm not lying to you. I Because I'm messed. The reason I'm on this podcast is I was like this as a child, right? There's been many years of whacked outness that brought me to this point, right? And I can remember that conversation trying to figure this out. And I think a lot of people adopted it because it, it gave us structure. Right. It gave us structure. But, you know, Gabriella Maletti, a dear friend of ours and a listener, Gabriella changed my whole mind on Christmas Eve because Gabriella's mother's family is from Calabria. They're from, from what I understand, an interior part of Calabria. And they have um, macaroni with chickpeas. I think they make lagana, macaroni and chickpeas on Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. And then they have bacala. And back 100 years ago, if you're in the interior of Calabria, that's a pretty good meal. Bacala is a special treat. And you're far, far away from the ocean. That's the most you're going to get. That's what empowered me and Rosella having the Banzarot tradition to destroy the seven fishes myth. <laughs> because I don't want that myth to take away from people's real tradition. So somebody like Gabrielle, now Gabrielle is a professional Italian-American, so we don't have to worry about her infringing on her tradition because she knows it better than anybody. But I don't want someone out there who had a tradition from their particular town to feel that it was incorrect because of a later develop. Now they could choose not to do it. They want to add fish. They want to get lobster. God bless America. That's great. But I don't want them to feel that their that their family tradition is somehow incorrect, because they've been misinformed by the seven fish. Uh, that's myth. very fair. That's that's along the lines of preserving regional yeah. languages, really, Bra, right? I mean, Bra, you know, yeah. as everything's okay. standardized. Annie, what was your family tradition then? I mean, obviously, you guys made strufoli. We made strufoli. So for us. Uh, getting together at my aunt's house. That was the center of Christmas in our family. Food is a centerpiece. My aunt's a fantastic cook. Lots of arancini. Uh, yeah, now this, this struck me also because I deciphered. I picked through your article. You did, okay. Yeah, because I'm a sick person. This is what sick people <laughs> do. Is Who's the Sicilian in the family that the arancini showed up? Uh, so my my paternal grandmother is from Sicily and my paternal grandfather was from Naples. And ah, so okay, so that's, that's the amalgamation. The, yes. What's your mother's side? My mother's side was Polish. Uh, so she she was introduced to all of these things when she joined the family, all these traditions. But they have their own. She's Polish Catholic. Uh, she was. Yes. So they have a strong but they have their own very strong Christmas Eve tradition which I would say is neck and neck with Southern Italians with the Pioverogi and the Apuatek. And I grew up with Polish kids. So the Italian side of the family really took over our traditions. So that really is, is what won out. So we always celebrated it. We, we didn't do too many Polish traditions growing up, which is a bummer, but yeah, it was the Italian side that won out. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously. And 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You know, after Italian food, I think Polish is my second favorite food. I love, I love Polish. Polish I love food. Polish yeah. food. Well, I grew <laughs> up big. with it. It's like a it's like a fallback for me because I grew up surrounded by Polish people. Yeah, I yeah, can I, could... I can sing Stolat and the stanzas. <laughs> I know you could. 
You could talk most like I've heard you speak Bulgarian to people. I don't know how you do it. How did got... John and I were in a camp in Miami with a Bulgarian camp driver. And my three years of Russian from college, somehow we had a conversation. Yeah, the whole time. It was amazing. I, and the guy didn't speak English either. You guys had a whole fine. conversation. It was fun. <laughs> Only you. He was like, we almost christened this kid at the end of the conversation. We were like BFFs. We were like on the next plane <laughs> over. Yeah, we were very close. You know, you talk about Polish cuisine, and it makes me think of something else I was thinking about as we were doing this. And I don't know about the two of you guys, but I, I do want to, I want us to talk about Struffley because this is something I've, I've been thinking about a lot. But my grandmother, who passed on all of her fish recipes, her Christmas fish recipes in particular to me, I never picked up how she made Struffley. And it's, it's not a complicated recipe, but I tried it once the year after she passed, and I made basically like lead sinkers for fishing. And I never tried it again. And I've been buying them ever since at the bakery. But my grandmother and her sisters also used to make at the same time was a cookie that we called Nukatel that I also can't make. And I actually get them oftentimes at Polish bakeries. Those like ribbon cookies with the powdered sugar on them. That's something you guys had. Mm-hmm. Yep. You, you too, Annie. I did. I'm familiar with they're like a do they look they're like fried. Yeah. Like a, a kushiki in Polish. That was, I was going to say the kushiki. Yeah. Yeah. Was, yep. Do you know what your Italian side called them? I don't. I don't know what they. I when you said that term, I was kind of getting ready to look up what kind of cookie that was. So that's interesting that you had that. Yeah, but do you know why that is? I'll tell you why that is. Because the leftovers. I say strusula. My mother and I today was a very Annie. You don't understand. This is a big podcast episode for us. I had a conversation. I, I I never might. I had a pre conversation with my mother on a podcast episode. But this was this is an intense episode, and a lot of places in the south of Italy. They when they I say strusula, that's my word. I don't know anybody else with my mother's family that uses that, but I'll say maybe strufa for the point of conversation. When they would make the balls, right? So they would fry the balls. And then when they were done frying the balls, they would take the leftover dough and do something different with it. So some people would turn it into kushiki, kyakira, nukatel, whatever you want to call it, which is like that long ribbony kind of crispy cookie thing. And in the Chilento, they made the pasticella from that. And pasticella would be a struffoli dough formed into a ravioli stuffed with um, chestnut puree. And some, some people put marmalade in, some people put chocolate in. I mean, different stuff. Some people put pine nuts in, God forbid. I'm definitely allergic, Andy. That's why. <laughs> you know what? You know, like Superman's kryptonite. Um, it's true. And oh, so there's a lot of places that would make one dough. The majority would be struffoli. And then there would be a second thing that would be made from the dough that was left so i think john that and that was a big salerno thing i think that's where that came from i love them and i and I, that there's something i miss i mean i do like i said i get them at the polish bakery sometimes you find them at the italian bakeries depending on you know how they maintain their older recipes and stuff but they were really my i mean after strophily those are my favorite they, they yeah, were like they, they were hand also, in hand they were a bit carnavala thing because they were used as spoons for the sanguinage is that right? That makes so much sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. So if you have like two spoons in the house because you're poor. Yeah. That's what, for those who don't know, um, sanguinach is pig's blood and chocolate cooked together into a pudding. One which, of my favorite things in the world. Who does it good, John? You do the best. I, Thank you, you. You do the best ever. I really Thank mean you. that. I yeah. really do. That's one of my specialties. That is one of your specialties. And the gakira, kyakira, nukatel, skushiki was the spoon. So you would scoop up a little bit. And then you would eat the spoon with the chocolate pudding on top. And uh, I guess that's like very environmental when you think about it. <laughs> that's very true. 
very good point. They're, Neapolitans are always ahead of the game. I wonder if you could do that with a gelato because then, the, then the spoon is gone. That's, That's a great point. And there's yeah. no waste. There's no leftover. See, you might be out to a new business. Like the guy who put the pizza in a cone. Did you ever see that? That horrible concoction? Well, we came up with the ice cream cone. What do you mean? Well, everybody fights what Italian came up with the ice cream cone, but there's unanimity that was an Italian that came up with the, with the ice cream cone. Is that right? Oh, yeah. I wanted to do an episode on this because they say the guy was from Hoboken. He was at the uh, St. Louis World's Fair. I think it was St. Louis and not Chicago. Maybe I'm one. I think it was St. Louis World's Fair. And he ran out of cups to put ice cream in. And he basically turned the pizza into an ice cream cone. That makes so much sense. We're smart people. Yeah, that's that's why we that's why we made the Renaissance. We're good at stuff like this. <laughs> Annie, I am so excited you're here. You represent us on Cooks Illustrated. Yeah, really. Oh, thank you. You are you you carry our flag. <laughs> it's so important to me that in these major American institutions, and most especially gastronomic institutions, members of our tribe, people who get us, are there to represent and to I don't want to say protect our interests. That sounds like she works for the CIA. <laughs> But, you know, look out for the tribe. And you wrote this article on making and testing truthfully and kind of got into some of the history of it. Why don't you share with the audience what you found about the history of these things? Because they're, they're, they're fascinating. I was particularly fascinating around the connection to Greece and the things like that. Sure. So and I, you know, Patrick, if there's anything that you disagree with, feel free, feel free to jump in. I feel like oh, no. you, you probably know. <laughs> Probably maybe a little bit more than I do. I got a theory. I got a theory for you to do the second article, but I'll let you go because, you know, I, unless John mutes me, I don't shut up. <laughs> well, essentially, you know, I, th- I think with a lot of dishes, sometimes, you know, the origins can be murky. So trying to find an exact, you know, pinpointing where the, you know, the name comes from, where it first appeared can be kind of tricky. Um, but basically what we found was uh, the connection was to Greece. And so that, and Greece, um, Naples, like I think you were speaking about earlier, Patrick, about being on the water. There's, um, you know, sailors and ports. Uh, we are Greeks. I mean, Naples comes from the word Neapolis. Right. Agropoli, right. Agropolis. You know, what, what movie where they say is in Mediterranean, we're more Greek than we're Italian. I mean, we were speaking Greek until it kind of, even when the Romans occupied us, we spoke Greek at home and Roman in the, you know, Roman for business. I think the connection makes sense um, that basically, you know, and I, I believe also there is a Greek dessert um, that are similar. They're a little bit larger than Struffoli, but they're these also honey drenched kind of fritters. And, you know, ultimately the word that we found that is the origin is I think, and I apologize if I butcher this, but strongulos, which essentially means round. And so I think if you, you know, that's the original Struffoli, I don't know if that's how you want to say it, and that dish is a lucomides. And it wasn't until basically entrepreneurial nuns who in the Southern part of Italy, uh, and I, you know, I think that's something that's all over the world that these are kind of hubs of where confections are being created and sold things like cannoli and stiletel to sustain themselves. And then Struffoli in particular became a Christmas gift that or what we found was given as a Christmas gift to noble families who'd been especially generous during the year. Wow. How about that? I had no idea about that. That is fascinating. Cause I know that oftentimes they would, you know, sell these things like a, um, you know, on a regular basis, uh, different, you know, pastiera at Easter time. But I, did, I imagine the idea of giving these to noble families is that's interesting. Cause I always, I always think of that when you see them displayed in like a big mound, 
there is some certain visual nobility to us truthfully. I don't know why, even though it's humble, it, it always strikes me as something you picture it like a, at a ball, you know, this big mound of pastries. It is, it is very humble. And I, you know, I was thinking about that because, you know, when this recipe was developed, it was for our holiday issue, which is always, the, you know, a pretty big time of year, obviously. And that's a big issue for us. And we always talk about what's the showpiece dessert going to be. And usually it's, you know, a layer cake or some sort of a trifle. Um, we did a, a Yule log one year. And so uh, the fact that Struffoli kind of got to be the holiday dessert was, I, you know, kind of exciting. Yeah. Because I think in a, a sense, maybe it's not what you might immediately think of as a showpiece, but for our family, you know, even though, like you said, it is humble, it's these little tiny fritters all piled up or in a wreath. Um, but with the candy, the dried fruit, they're just so festive and colorful. And to me, they always were the, the center of our dessert table on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And when you did this article, right, obviously the whole idea of Cooks Illustrated, I think the difference for Cooks Illustrated as a publication than other sort of, uh, let's say, culinary magazines that you might grab off the rack at the supermarket, there's almost a science behind Cooks Illustrated, right? You guys are all testing this stuff out. It's, it's much more academic, I guess, right? behind these recipes yes i think that's a good way to, of putting it um cooks illustrated we really dive deep into the you know the hows and whys of something works which for me particular for this piece because it was such a personal recipe to kind of to look at it in an objective way and you know assess my aunt's recipe um yeah. was was kind of interesting and trying to be um neutral about it yeah. and, um, or at least diplomatic exactly yeah and I you know I'll say I still think you know I think I I ended up with a pretty good recipe but I'll you know I'll say that I love hers more um but we try to really I think really examine you know why is each ingredient in this recipe what's its role the function of it how you know essential is it from a certain standpoint and so I think in the end what we try to do is provide recipes that are obviously not only delicious, but you can learn something from them. And something you did that I found really interesting was you talked about how you prepared the honey, right? Because they're, they're not particularly sweet on their own, the dough, right? You eat it truthfully without anything on it. It's, you know, bready. It's, it's bland. I think you can bland, say it's yeah. kind of bland. It's okay. Yeah, a little bit, um, right? It, 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 yeah, but it's... can I speak in its defense? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. No, but I got, I got to speak in its defense. You are taking this from the perspective of someone in 2022 who has a world inundated with, with sugar, cane sugar. True. Very true. Mm -hmm. So American people love really sweet stuff, right? That's why we're soda drinkers and not wine drinkers. But if you go back to the Renaissance and pre-Renaissance, pre-sugar Italian desserts, they're mildly sweet. Right. They're not overly bearingly sweet. Yeah. So... The condemnation of putting them in the bland category. No, but wait, wait a minute. But it's an I'm not saying of a modern, but it's an indication of a modern power. But I'm not saying struffoli or bland, though. Wait, I'm just saying that the sans any kind of honey or uh, sprinkles. Sure. What's the real yeah. word for sprinkles? You use it in the article. Uh, the non-parels. Non-parels. But you make a point that it's sometimes it's hard to get the honey onto these things, right? And there's a, there's a billion different kinds of honey. I think honey is, I'm kind of like becoming more and more anthropologically obsessed with honey. Because it's, you know, it's ancient and that you can, depending on where it's, what plants it's near, the flavor changes and there's different grades of it. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people don't even know they go in a supermarket and buy honey flavored corn syrup and think it's honey, which is sad. Um, 
but you you decided to cook them in the honey to get it to stick. That was your that was your method. Is that what your family did, or you just kind of that was your solution? No. So my you know my aunt's recipe was you make your your little cookie, um, which I. I call them a cookie. It was really hard to explain to people on my team um, because when I developed these, we were also in the midst of the pandemic. So we were all working from home. So trying to develop a recipe that no one even had like had before and explaining what the texture should be was a little bit of a challenge, but I'll call them a cookie for now. Um, but no, my, my aunt just warmed the honey and, you know, dropped them in because, you know, she'd been making these for years and years and years. So it's pretty ingrained in her. So uh, I really had to eke out each step and asking her, you know, what does it look like at this stage? What does it feel like at this stage? And try to extract her knowledge so I could take it and, you know, create it into a recipe. And, you know, it, I think a lot of recipes do that and that's absolutely fine for, for me. And what I wanted was something that had a little more cling um, and kind of soaked into the the fritters a little bit more, the cookies. And so by by letting the the fritters spend a little bit of time in the honey and cooking it down, you're evaporating some of the water from the honey. So it really sticks to them a bit better. And I found that it just gave it a little bit more of that like honey flavor on each mm. cookie. And, you know, coming back to before saying bland, I, I agree with you, Patrick. I think you know, for our recipes, whenever we develop them, we send them out to a panel of volunteer testers who they make the recipe, they give us feedback. And I think for people in particular who've never had this before, it was kind of a challenge for what exactly they were supposed to be tasting. And uh, a main complaint was that it tasted like honey, like there was, <laughs> and like that there was like this cookie and there's this honey and a lot of comments about the flavor. And, but I think you're right, historically, um, or, you know, just now we're consuming more sugar. So I, I understand what you're saying. You got to send those recipes to our people. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we you have need an all Italian listeners. We have a tribe. Sign up to be a taster. To we will. Be a it has to be yeah. Italian. Only Italians should taste Italian stuff. Can you do that? Oh, sure. Yeah, we you can sign up on our website um, and volunteer and you'll get recipes in your inbox and you can, you know, contribute your feedback. And it's I, it's very valuable to us to hear that feedback. And, you, you know, you have to be able to parse out what, you know, it, it's did people not like the flavor, but they thought it worked. Yeah. Or did something go wrong for them? So it from a development perspective, it's very useful to have that feedback. You just have to kind of weigh what the comments are. You also said something really interesting in there about if you put the sprinkles on, not non parallels. Non-parallels. I had to double check before I came. Okay. I keep wanting to say the non-parallels or so, so non-parallels. Yeah, sprinkles. We're, we're sprinkles. Sprinkle. We're, I'm gravy people. I'm sprinkle people. Right. I am who I Although am. Although some people call them jimmies. That's fine. People, and they yeah. say sauce too. We all yeah. can all live in peace. But you made a great point that if you put them on while they're still hot, you end up with sort of multicolored swirls, which I totally, totally understand because you could see who's put them on at the right time. Sometimes they just sort of dissolve into this like uh, galactic mix of colored effect into the honey. But uh, if you get them just right. And you also talked about some people who put candied kukutsa. And I had not even understood that that was a thing until a few episodes back when we had Marian Esposito on. And she said that a lot of Sicilians candy that uh, kukutsa squash, the, the big, long squash. And is that something that you picked up in studying this or was that something your family did? That was something my aunt had mentioned to me, like in her just like years of eating the dish, but it wasn't, she, she always kept um, hers 
I, I don't want to say plain, but we, you know, vanilla, very like simple. And so for mine, I wanted to, you know, dress it up a little bit more with the candied orange, the nuts. I think it just provides some different textures of different flavors. So it does kind of like make for a more well-rounded dessert in the end. My gram, the sister made them. And when she passed away, it, it, the job went to my mother. We always use candy cherries. So it was the sprinkles and the candy cherries, red and green cherries. I mean, we are mounds. We had mounds like the soup. We still do. We make a mound of Vesuvius. <laughs> I mean, you could climb that thing. And it was all covered in red and green. But if you go to like Naples, they'll use candied orange peel. They'll use citron. Um, some towns throw crushed almonds up in it. Some towns throw walnuts in it. It's Italy. Everybody, everybody marches to the beat of their own drummer. Yeah. But you know how I settled the honey issue? Because I ran into the honey issue about 10 or 12 years ago. And Stephanie, the girl who cuts my hair, she, she also makes them. So when we I would get my hair cut, we would also plot and scheme about this, right? How to fix it. <laughs> truthfully. Yeah, serious. No, seriously. We're, like, we're like BFFs on Bastia yeah. and stuff like that. We're like on the same same brain, right? I, she, she's been cutting my hair since she's 17. Wow. Um, I have another theory because I spent a lot of time thinking about this stuff. I found that supermarket honey is the problem. And I think what happens is the major brand supermarket honeys are treated. I don't know how they're treated so that they don't congeal. Because if you have natural honey that comes from the farm, it'll turn into a brick after a while. It just gets into like a big solid mass. But if you get honey from a farm, okay, like a beekeeper, and that's what I do from now on. And I always get it for Stephanie. I always get it for her and for me. When you heat the honey, from a beekeeper, from a farm farm stand honey, that honey performs like a thoroughbred and it thickens. So when you warm it up, it thickens. And then when you throw the strufel in, you get the same reaction that your great grandmother got back in 1922. Mm. So I think that the, a lot of people, they go and they get the, the, the store, the supermarket honey, they throw it on. And I think that there's something, and I don't know if it's a chemical or a treatment that the manufacturer put in to make sure that that honey never congeals, which works against it. It's a good point. Interesting. Yeah. You don't think about that. It's, it's like people who make Neapolitan pizza at their house and then they go out and get the double zero extra fine Neapolitan flour and it changes everything for them. Right. Like we, you don't think about the fact that ingredients are not the same over geography. They're not the same over time. They're not the same over you know conditions. So it does make a big difference. It's a great reason to support your local beekeeper. Yeah. yeah, absolutely true. And and once you have that kind of honey, it's hard to go back to anything else. I make love to my honey. <laughs> I know that sounds terrible. I got a honey guy in New York that makes honey. I get his jars of it. Now, they, now they're charging like it's like gold. Everything is now. Yeah. I mean, now they're out of control. I mean, they're giving prices like I'm like, come on. I think I got to find a new lover. I'm looking for a new honey to love. Because <laughs> no, I'm like, come on, you're not. A you're new not honey pusher. Yeah. <laughs> I think I got one. I'm kind of eyeing up. We'll see how it works out. I don't want to tell them I'm into them because, you know, once they know you're done. But because I buy a lot of honey. But I mean, some of these have now just gone, you know, they've gone through the roof. Annie, you said something interesting in introducing this this idea to your team at Cook's Illustrated and, and as the you know, showstopper Christmas dessert. And you said a lot of people hadn't heard of it. Were you surprised by that? Not surprised. Like I would, I feel like maybe I live in a fishbowl and most people I interact with both personally and professionally happen to be Italian Americans, but I feel like it's sort of become a little bit more known out there, but it seems maybe not. Did you meet a lot of blank stares? 
I did. I, I was kind of surprised. I mean, as a kid, I remember, you know, after the holiday break, talking to friends about how your holidays were. And, you know, my, my friends had no idea what I was talking about when I would talk about Struffoli. And so I think I had always kind of been used to people not knowing, but my coworkers who, you know, they've all been in the food industry for a long time. They're, they all have wonderful palates and have eaten all kinds of food. So I think I was a little bit surprised that at the lack of experience that they'd had with it, but everyone was super enthusiastic, which was great and really excited for it and excited to try it. And like I said, during the pan, you know, I was developing this at home during the pandemic. So my, um, our editor-in-chief Dan Suze and I lived pretty close together. So he was driving over on a daily basis to come pick up samples of Struffoli so he could give me some feedback on them. And we do tastings outside on the steps. And so it was, it was nice because he, you know, he really wanted to, to try them and understand what they were like. And it was nice to have a, a coworker at that time period who could like eat them and we could talk about what I was making. Yeah. It's, I find it so interesting because we, in our online store, italianpower.com, our Italian power store, where we sell uh, drop printed t-shirts and merchandise mugs and bags and stuff 99% of the designs I do and we, the first year we had it open I said you know I think people would really appreciate some Christmas stuff and I started going through my kind of memory bank of concepts and touchstones that were important to me on Christmas and trying to create designs that attach to different ones of them so obviously the seven fish and this and that and uh, I started trying to experiment with the idea of truthfully graphically and we came up with our Struffoli Squad shirt, which inspires the name of this episode. And the response we got was incredible. And it sells, you know, people buy it for the whole family. And I met a guy who's, we were just talking about traditions, and he said his family does Struffoli in such large batches now that all the families around them and, and compadi and friends that no longer make it, they come into it together like a club. And uh, it's it's amazing to me how much of a touchstone it's become. So I guess maybe it is sort of, you know, very identifiable to Italian-Americans from a lot of different backgrounds in all different parts of the country, from different backgrounds in Italy, but maybe I guess it still stayed in tribe. It's still, so I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed that you shared it with the rest of uh, the country and the world. So that's a great service. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it was a really nice response that we got from it. And, you know, people on the, when the recipe was published, we got a few comments. Uh, one particular that always stands out to me is just someone wrote, I can't believe I'm seeing this recipe in Cooks Illustrated. And I just like... why why would they say that it's an honor i think it's just it's so to me it's a it's a very niche kind of even you know some of i I don't know that all italian americans like i don't know that everyone would know automatically which truthfully truthfully was i I don't know maybe i'm wrong but i think it has enough of a i'm always about our position in the general american mosaic of culture and if you take the high ground that we had in the 50s and 60s with Dean Martin and Topo Gigio and all the other things, we were, we were a represented distinct ethnic group in the United States with a distinct culture and with a distinct um, traditions and the like. And I feel that we're losing ground because we're being written off in a sense. And I feel that it's so important. And that's why I'm such a champion of what you did, because, yes, I mean, there's certain Sicilian things that are not going to be my traditional calabres or something else, but... I think there's enough of us that we we need to be represented in things like general American cookbooks and things like Cooks Illustrated, because, I mean, number one, we, we did revolutionize American food as a people. 
when we came in here, right? I mean, things like, you know, pizza and lemon ice and stuff like that, that's generally now taken to be American food, came on our backs when we, when we came here, right? So even if we do have niche products, it's part of the greater Italian-American amalgamated food tradition here that it does deserve its seat at the table. And that's, that's my big thing. Like the drum I'm constantly beating is we need to be, because I think that in an amalgamated culture like the United States, if it's not reflected on Instagram or in Cooks Illustrated or on a cooking show, we're going to unjustly lose our place and our kids don't get the message that their traditions have equal values with everyone else's. So when your kid is rushing home to make, and I'm not disparaging the candy cane cookie, but when your kid wants to go home and make the candy cane cookie, they're not seeing, in my opinion, in the general discussion, the Italian-American thing that belongs to them. Like, and now, now you're really going to put me in the lunatic category? I know you did it earlier, and I don't blame you. Everybody does, does Danny. <laughs> if you're not the first, you're not going to be the last. Like, we need, like, John is working on Dominic the Donkey paraphernalia. Because, you know, there's Charlie Brown's Christmas mm -hmm. and there's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And then who's the guy who melted? Frosty the Snowman, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I want a Dominic the Donkey cartoon because Italian-American kids should see their place at the table. And in that Dominic the Donkey cartoon, there should be Strufli on the table. <laughs> well said. There should be a cookbook. There was a great, you know what we have to get you, Annie? There is a Seven Fishes cookbook that was done by the Italian community of West Virginia. West Virginia has a huge, strong Calabrese community. They even have a Seven Fishes Festival. Oh, wow. And I was so proud because they made a children's, it's a, I want is it a children's book, John? It's a comic book. It's a comic book. And I'm like, this is where we need to be. We need to put comic books that celebrate our culture into the hands of our children so that they realize that their traditions are just as worthy as everybody else's. And I think that's why it's so important that Everybody should get a shot at Cooks Illustrated, even maybe something that's a niche thing. But, you know, we represented and we were there and we're going to keep marching on. And we're going to keep more. We're going to keep getting more of our stuff in that magazine. No, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I was going to say I credit, you know, my team for being enthusiastic and wanting to share it. Like, I think they recognized how, you know, this was important to me. I think I felt like there would be an audience for it and they supported that. And I think one of the things that was, I thought was very touching was, uh, you know, I interviewed a couple of people for the story, one of them being uh, Jack Bishop, who's our chief creative officer. And he talking to him about the dish, he hadn't thought of it in years. And it was really something that brought back memories for people as I was talking to them about it. And just that connection between family and the holidays and Jack talking about making them with his grandmother and the smell of honey in the kitchen. It just, it, it was really nice that it evoked so much emotion from people. And I think that was what was so important to me about getting to write the story was that I got to bring my family into the magazine. And, and I think what I, you know, what I meant earlier by people being surprised by the recipe, I just, I think of so many other Italian desserts that get so much love. And so to me, truthfully, it's, you know, it's these funny little fritters and, you know, they are kind of like a cookie, but they're fried and they've got honey and candy. And like, what are these wonderful snacky kind of things? You know where my theory is, what they've evolved from? The Greeks. Um, yes, the Greek, Leukemia, the Leukemides, I think you mentioned. The, yep. Okay. Um, they also, but when the Greeks celebrate 40 days after death, they make a, and I think Bastida is also, involved in this they boil grain 
and the Ukrainians do this on Christmas Eve, a lot of people who are Byzantine, connected with Constantinople and the Greeks, have a religious dish for special religious occasions of boiled grain. And if you think of this truthfully, it looks like a boiled grain, right? An unhold piece of wheat. And they mix it with honey and candied fruits. Sometimes they put pomegranate in. Sometimes they put nuts in. And if you take out the strufli as a fried dough ball and you put in soaked cooked grain, which looks like a, a very small uh, dimensional strufli ball, it's the exact same recipe. Mm. It's honey, candied fruit, um, sometimes nuts. And I think that the Parthenopeans, right, the Greeks that settled Naples, I think at one point there was a switch out from grain to these little balls. Mm. Now, maybe because it spread it more, but if you see that with the Ukrainian, now the Ukrainians eat that on Christmas Eve. The Ukrainians have like this 12 traditional dish meal. And at the end of it is um, boiled grain mixed with honey and candied fruits and the like. I think that is the proto, the proto, I guess, proto, prototype. What's the word? Progenitor. I think, and I think we should all take a trip to Greece, eat <laughs> right. our way through Greece and find it. <laughs> it's in some village somewhere. You're right. It's probably there. Yeah, it's there. Yeah. That we're going to go to National Geographic. That'll be the next magazine. I was reading an article in, I don't know, the New York Times or something about the Ukrainian, um, obviously right now, you know, invaded and uh, war torn and how much the Christmas traditions are being preserved over this particularly daunting holiday for them. And they were talking about, yeah, this wheat porridge, uh, same same recipe. Well, I would say kuchia from like the Sicilian use of it, right? Yes, yes, kuchia. I yeah, didn't even think is, of that, John. Yeah. The Sicilians keep it the way it was in Greece. That's a great yes, point. Saint, they make it Saint... Um, Saint Lucy. Saint Lucy's Day, right, for yes. Catania. No, St. Lucy's not Catania. She's what? Syracuse. 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 Um, but my radar went off when I read this. And I thought to myself, that, but that's Sicilian. And all of this transference is, is so absolutely timeless. And I think that, you know, you talk about Cook's Illustrated being a publication of record culinarily in the United States. And, yeah, it means something when you when you bring something of ours into it. And, and, and it perhaps transfers yet again. And in generations from here, somebody who has read this and picked it up and made it a part of their family holiday may have no Italian DNA, but it becomes a part of their tradition. And I think that's the beauty of the country. Um, Annie, speaking to that point, is there any other recipe that you have from your family, from your upbringing that you would like to in the future share with the readership of your publication? Uh, It doesn't have to be Christmas, just anything that you really identify with. Like what would be your next, you could share yet another one of our touchstones. What would it be? Uh, I've always, if I could, if I could do another recipe, you know, for my family, I would love to do my grandmother's rice balls. Mm. I don't know that we've ever covered that. Uh, that's a dish that has been a staple and, you know, all of our family holidays, it's, it's part of our Thanksgiving. It's part of our Christmas. It's part of our Easter. I haven't delved into the history of Arancini, so I'm not, I'm not familiar on, you know, the exact times when it's eaten, but that's something that has always been. Um, it was it was a dish that I was always really excited to share with friends who came to spend holidays with us, and I would love to tackle that at some point. Are you guys meat and cheese family? What 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 do you put inside? 
So my grandmother would do a meat sauce inside uh, since she passed. We, you know, my dad took it over and we streamlined it a little bit. So it was just, uh, it was just rice and cheese. My brother has since taken it over. He's interested in adding some peas and, you know, so everyone's kind of yeah. changing it up, you know, depending on the cook, which is fun, new traditions. I like that about Arancini, actually. I, I was in Sicily this year with our other co-host, Dolores, this summer filming a project and we went to her husband's ancestral island of Alicudi, which is about as remote as one can get i think doesn't that and... sound like a disease Alicudi? <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> i don't want to insult them like he suffered from Alicudi. i think it sounds like a fish i bought six pounds of Alicudi. yeah six pounds um, of Alicudi. but we got there and it's it's so small there's like three restaurants and two of them weren't open when we got them we were starving so we went to this like bar and they said, well, we don't have any food prepped, but, um, you know, you could have a beer and you could have a granita, whatever. And then the, the guy took a liking to us. He found out that Drew's family's from Alicudi. So he brought out, they had sequestered some of the uh, arancini from the morning. And he said, look, you could have these. And so we cracked into them. You know, you buy them a street food. You're always used to like the peas, the meat or sometimes ham, whatever. And these had a seafood mix in them, and it was delicious. And I thought to myself, this is the beauty of the rice ball. It can take whatever's local, because here we are on this island, the middle of the Aeolian, and uh, it's a great package for it. So that would be a wonderful concept to share, for sure. Yeah, I think I think that would be fun. Like you said, it's pretty customizable. And, you know, depending on the size, a little a little treat, maybe a little something more substantial. So I think that would be really fun. They're kind of like... If I understand the history of the Arancini, and, you know, we could put you in touch with Lou Mendela, the foremost Sicilian-American authority on Sicily. He moved there. <laughs> he is the arch Sicilian. Yeah. That's yeah, the he name. Is. He is an arch Sicilian. He, is. he knows everything that ever happened in Sicily. Oh so, like, gosh. if a king broke a toenail in 1830, <laughs> he was like, oh, he had Lou's amazing. And he's obsessed with Arancini, actually. So he'd be a great guy for you to speak to. But in talking to him about them, sometimes I think of they're kind of like our Sicilian equivalent of, like, Cornish pasties are to to the Brits, like this meal on the go yep. in its own package. Right. That's, I think that's kind of something that I like about that. I think it's, uh, you know, it encapsulates everything and it's portable and it's, it's very uh, flexible. So that's a good, that's a good choice. Yeah. Thank you. Well, this has been a lot of fun for us. I hope you'll come back at any time. We'd always love to speak to you about anything you're thinking about around our community and uh, the recipes that make us who we are. So really thanks so much. Annie, we stand behind you. There's like 18 to 26 million Italian Americans, depending on who's doing the counting. And every single solitary one of us stands behind you because you and the other gentlemen, I mean, are there other Italian Americans that are on the staff of Cooks Illustrated? There are. There are. Yes. Let yes. them know that they represent every single solitary one of us. And it's so important, the work that you do, because you are the New York Times of gastronomy. True. You are the paper of record and you stand there and you represent us and you give a credence to the fact that we have a, a, a gastronomic culture as Italian-Americans that's shareable with an entire country through your magazine. And I want you to I want to send out this invitation. I know John will concur when you do the arancini recipe. I want all you guys to come on. We actually do a video series. We've had a successful video series. Oh, wow. Thank you. That's really nice. We'd come up. Vermont, New Hampshire. Where are you, Vermont? 
I'm, I'm a new. <laughs> I new get very answer. scared when I leave. No, when I well, pass the, <laughs> the cat skills, I get very panicked. <laughs> Animals are going to no. eat me. Bears are going to eat me. But ju- we'll do a road trip. But we will definitely have you guys all on to celebrate the Arancini. When because you got you 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 thank for, you know we appreciate you gave uh, deference to your Neapolitan side. <laughs> so it's fine. You can you can do the Sicilian side now. That's okay. <laughs> Get approval. You got approval. Thank you. I appreciate it. And if if uh if you ever have any recipe suggestions that I should tackle next, please feel free. I'd love to hear what you guys think we should be. You're going to regret those words. In. You're going to regret those <laughs> words. Eat those words. <laughs> you are. You remember I said in the beginning, if you want me to edit anything out, I can't edit out the conversation. Take that back. Okay. <laughs> no, too late now. Pat did invent his own pie, by the way, and it's very, very good. It did. Oh, send it along. I'd love to. Absolutely, yeah. I'd be honored to. Italian American inspired pie. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. You've been amazing and uh, have a very, very bon Natale, you and your whole family up there. And we hope we see you again. Thank you so much. You as well. I hope you guys have a nice Christmas. John, I, I have the kazoo. What should I sign off with? Well, it's a Neapolitan Christmas. Uh, we're talking about Neapolitan Christmas. So, Moven and Nadal. How about Moven and Nadal? and Nadal. If you could pull that off on kazoo, let me say to everybody first, we hope you guys have enjoyed this. We hope you will go out. We're going to link. Annie's amazing article on the show page. So if you do not have a family recipe or you like me, you can't pull off the family recipe. I am going to tell you guys right now, I'm going to be trying it off of Annie's very, very well tested recipe this year. So hopefully I'll have some photos to share of how mine come out based on this well-researched take on the humble struffoli, uh, a plate that means so much to all of us. So hope everybody out there gives it a shot or you have the ones that you and your family are making as long as no matter what, you're having a very, very bon Natale from all of us at the Italian American Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next year. Mama, mama, e dammi una mano, caro per i mani a fornisciare se mani non sa che fai, non sa che fai, muovene Natale.